Welcome into Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. I am joined tonight on this Saturday night by a very special guest. He wanted to talk about the MVP race with me, and I am more than obliged, of course, to talk with him, of course. It is Matt Moore of the Action Network, host of Locked on Nuggets with Adam Morris, of course. Friend of friend of the low post, if I don't say so myself. Uh, Matt, how are you tonight? Uh, just got done watching uh, Steph Curry rain hellfire again, right? Yeah, that was wild. Um, although not really. I'm always I'm always kind of amused just because it's like, oh my god, Steph Curry made three pointers, and I'm kind of like, <laughs> y- y'all, you're. I mean, I admire it because it's like going into every single like horror movie. It's like going into a Friday Thirteenth movie and going. <gasps> Oh no, there's a guy with a machete. <laughs> oh no. Who could have I thought this movie was just about some kids going to camp. Like I'm always yeah. like, yeah, Steph's going to make a ton of threes. That's that's what he does, guys. I'm not saying that you can't be amazed at some of the shots he makes. The sidestep one that he hit late in the game was particularly just fucking absurd. Um, but yeah, great performance by Steph and probably probably um will kickstart more conversation about should Steph Curry be in the, what about Steph now we all love Joker no question about it but 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 maybe we should talk more about Steph Curry because you see uh you see Julius Randle had a really big game over the course of these last couple of days maybe Julius Randle he's really valuable like maybe he should be in the conversation Clarkson. Jordan Clarkson <laughs> led the Jazz the number 1 team in the NBA in scoring today Ryan why aren't we talking more about Jordan Clarkson it's it's just nuts man i i i i get very frustrated about it there there is a lot of there's a lot of drama with this race with, with regards to, hey, you have to be involved in the MVP conversation if you're doing anything great. If you're Rudy doing anything Gobert awesome. was brought up yesterday. What it's are just you doing here? I know, I know. It's it's it, it really felt like a token inclusion. That was that was the token inclusion that that really burst my brain. But look, everybody's gonna have their own candidate. Everybody's gonna have their own challenger in this thing. And it certainly feels like uh, Nikola Jokic hasn't clearly run away with the conversation by now. So we're, we're going to at least uh, throw some extra challengers in there. But I, I wanted to talk to you about it kind of from all angles here, talk to you about how many players are actually in this race. Uh, we've got 16 games left to go for the Nuggets, uh, just about a quarter of the season left to go for the rest of the NBA. Just get into all of that figure out, okay, why, why is this race the way that it is? And, and then just kind of talk through some of these points and, and see if we could entertain the masses here. Um, I wanted to start by just bringing up some of these names. And, and you mentioned Steph Curry here. He didn't actually make my top six, which I think is kind of nuts, especially with the run that he's on lately. But I don't have him in the top six. Would you have him top six right now? Um, I'm looking at my list right now. Yeah. No, but I think, well, I think your list has to be seven. And I think he's okay. tied. I think he's tied with my sixth guy. Okay. I can, I can get behind that. Look, he has been on an absolute tear. Deserves, especially with what he's done this week in particular, that that he should be, like, at least mentioned as a, as a ballot guy. Somebody who you could put on your ballot and feel pretty good about it. The other six names that I have on my list are Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Damian Lillard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, James Harden, and Luka Doncic. Do any of those names 
Like, is is that wild to you? Did, did you have a name that I did not have? Yeah, you're going to have to put LeBron James on that list there, Ryan. Like, you're just going to have to. Um, mm. So, two things. One, you can remove Harden. Okay. Um, I asked 10 likely voters how – no, 12 likely voters, I'm sorry – how much the start of the year in Houston would impact their vote. Of those 12, 10 said some to very much, somewhere between at least a little bit to very much, where if Harden were to come back this week and just absolutely blow everybody away, which isn't going to happen because he's Kevin Durant's back. If you were to do that and he wound up tied with Jokic, James Harden is the only player I will tell you that if if he is tied with Jokic, there isn't a voting block that will a large enough voting block that will give him the benefit of the doubt over Joker. So Harden, I think is out. Um, Conversely, LeBron is supposed to be back at the end of the month. It would not shock me if he returns next Saturday versus the Dallas Mavericks in a Saturday night showdown versus Luka Doncic. Okay. Mm, Okay. At that point, the Los Angeles Lakers will likely be either fifth or sixth in the Western conference. If they go on a tear and he puts up numbers and he has big games in nationally televised games, which of course the Lakers have every 35 (laughs) seconds, be all of them. Yes. (laughs) He will, he will be back in the conversation. Now I do think there will be a lot of hesitance given how many games he's missed um, to get past that. Like the availability thing is a real conversation. Sure, but I do think that if you're doing the top six, LeBron has to be included. Uh, and I will tell you furthermore that LeBron I would consider to be in more serious conversation and discussion, and he is a more serious candidate than Giannis. Okay, yeah, I think I think I can see that as well. Just because with with the Giannis factor here, he has been the MVP twice, and I, I know you've talked about voter fatigue in the past. It, it does seem to be a real thing. He's putting up a lot of the same great numbers that he always has, just kind of looking through his scores. But Milwaukee hasn't been the same dominant team that they've had in the past. And they have Drew Holiday now and Chris Middleton, who's still doing some incredible things. And so it it might be easier to parse some of that credit away from what Giannis is doing, in my opinion. So Giannis isn't leading the candidates in scoring. He's not even – he's fourth in per game which a lot of the the voters will look at per hundred possessions. He's third. Mm -hmm. Um, He's obviously an incredible rebounder, but he's not even number one there. He's second. Um, He's shooting great because he's shooting 56.5% from the field. But if you lean towards efficiency, Joker's got him at 56.7. But the bigger problem is just like, look, even though the numbers kind of match up with what Giannis has been, he's not as good. He's not as dominant. The bucks aren't, as good a lot of it is the i feel like i needed to preface like everything that we talk about you need to understand when you're talking about mvp voting that there are you can't clearly classify people into x group but there are a few archetypes that people fall into rachel nichols is a narrative voter so whatever the story of the nba is that season that's what she's going to gravitate towards um zach lowe is an analyst whatever is objectively the best season performance by the measures that he considers, that's what he goes for. Beat writers fall into a different one. They often lean on, they talk to coaches 
they talk to people, scouts, they talk to people that they trust and they ask, who do you think it is? Um, or they say, I saw this guy do X versus the team I cover. Um, Joker's actually going to pull a huge amount of beat writers. That's his, that's his base. Um, and then you have like national TV analysts and former players that fall into a different kind of category. Um, so I bring all this up to say Giannis does not have a single camp that's in his, like that is backing him. He's not the story of the season. He doesn't match up with the other candidates analytically. Um, you can't like really watch him and be like, he is like absolutely the most important, like this Bucks team is good, but also they're not as dominant. So that doesn't carry as much weight. So like Giannis doesn't have a, a strong enough real base to be able to make an argument. Like Giannis will make some lists. He got pretty high on Tim Bontemps straw poll, but mm-hmm. by the end of the season, I expect a lot of those votes to be redistributed to either Damian Lillard, uh, Steph Curry or LeBron James. One name you didn't bring up there was Luka Doncic. If his team continues to make a run here, and and because they they have the capability, I think they have a weak strength of schedule left as well. Uh, how high do you think he needs to go before being a serious candidate? This week hurts, I think, a little bit. Um, like he had that insane three versus Memphis, but that was a game that they probably should have coasted a little bit more in, and it didn't happen. Um, I think. A lot of this is if, if we look at the standings. So Dallas right now, uh, thirty and twenty-four. Like they're there, right? They're only uh, they're three games back of the Lakers in the loss column uh, to get to fifth, but they are five back of the of the Nuggets. Yeah, um, I have a hard time seeing the Mavericks being able to make up the kind of ground that they're going to need to in order for him to really be able to push. Like this is the same problem with Curry, where. Mm-hmm it's just very unlikely this season that you're going to find a situation in which the voters like Russ was such an outlier right. as a seventh seed. Like it just doesn't happen. Honestly, Joker's going to be an outlier at fifth or fourth or third, um, depending on where he goes. Like, he's going to be an outlier. Typically their top two seeds. Um, typically their teams on a 50 win pace. Um, and I think in general, like, it's difficult for Luca, I, I think, for the Mavericks to be able to make the kind of push. They're too inconsistent. That loss of the Knicks is kind of is kind of emblematic of it. Sure, they have they stumble too many times. I think for him to make the kind of push that he's going to need to. He's been incredible. I think I think he's the guy, other than maybe Steph, that has some of the most incredible moments that you could really consider MVP caliber moments. Uh, but I, I tend to agree with you there that, look, you just have to reach a certain threshold in order to be serious about this. Uh, I'm not sure that Damian Lillard has met that threshold. I think it's at least closer, uh, given what he's done to keep the Blazers afloat and kind of, I have no idea, like it's it's some sort of wizardry or, or witchcraft that, that he's really kept them afloat, but uh, they just keep winning and, and I don't know how to really evaluate that. Well, they're, I mean, yes, it's true that they, they use witchcraft, but that witchcraft is also run out versus the good teams. Yeah, that's true. So a lot of it is they should have lost to a bunch of bad teams, but Dame, Clutch Time, Blazers, Wizardry came in and they were able to sneak out versus teams that they should lose to. They should have lost a Spurs game. Like, yeah, that's that too. But when they've gone up against the Jazz, the Clippers, the Suns, anybody that's like substantive, it's been an absolute beatdown. Right. Um, if Dame goes off and the and they knock off the Nuggets, even without Jamal, that'll help, right? Um, but there is kind of an awareness of like the Blazers just aren't very good. 
Uh, and there is kind of getting to be like a, well, look, it's great that Dame is awesome in Dame time as long as you never trap him. But if you don't do the dumbest thing alive, you can actually survive it a little bit. The, I think that the, these losses those last couple of weeks to the good teams have really hurt his case. I also think it's very likely that Dallas passes them. I think, honestly, Dame and, and, and Luca are going to wind up battling back and forth, but neither one is going to be able to make the run. If Dame, if they go on a tear, then Dame's going to be back in that conversation. Um, like this is part of the, uh, of the many ways in which I do believe that this race uh, is not necessarily uh, that Jokic is getting the standard amount of respect that the leading candidate would get. Among them is that by this point with 90% of the season done, we would be like, Oh, it's, a, I mean, it's, it's done. Um, but instead the voters, many voters will be like, I want to wait and see, cause they want to give everybody, especially guys like Dame and Steph and LeBron a chance to make a run and pass him. What about Joel Embiid? Because he's a guy who has, has made a, a very significant run over this past week. It seems they, they don't lose when he's in the lineup right now. And, and there, there are other factors to that. He's had 94 free throw attempts in the past seven games. Like there's, there's a lot to be done there. Uh, but he he really just has been incredible, and it's it's hard to really argue against that case, in my opinion. Yeah. So back in 2017, which is the second closest, well, the closest. This is the second closest race that I've ever kind of monitored. Um, one of the things I used to say a lot was, if I say that your guy is not the MVP, it does not mean that he is not worthy. It means that he is right. not most deserving. Uh, right. Joel Embiid absolutely is deserving of the MVP this season. Like I know that fans don't want to hear that, but like he's been dominant. Um, he's been awesome. I mean, look, he, he's averaging 30 points a game. He's yeah. averaging 30 points a game. He's shooting 52% from the field. He's grabbing 11 boards a game. He's blocking 1.4 shots per game. Um, the defensive metrics are all what you would expect them to be. He is the kind of force defensively that people make him out to be. Um, he is absolutely the candidate. If Nikola Jokic were anything less than what he's been, Joel Embiid would be the MVP. Uh, and Joel is still probably going to pick up a, a huge chunk of second place votes. I like, right. I think, I think Joker, I, I think Embiid is, is, is odds on should be the favorite to get second in MVP voting. He's been absolutely phenomenal. I don't have a knock on Embiid's case. The only, well, I have two, I have two minor knocks. Um, one, he can't handle a double team, which is kind of a problem. Right. Right. Um, it's still an issue. He does it better. I've still, I've seen better stuff from him this year, but it's still an issue. Uh, and then two, you know, a lot of the defensive stuff you need to, you have to be able to recognize how much scheme plays a part in these things where, you know, they're not switching and having MB guard five guys. They're right. not like they play ice drop, which they drop the big and they veer you away from the middle and pick and roll coverage. And it's great. They do it. They do it better than anybody. However, you know, if you're going to tout his defensive prominence, it still needs to be noted that like, okay, he's still at his core. He's still just a rim protector. Like that's who he is. Yeah. And and one of the things that really just kind of stands out with him and some of the losses that they've had is that a lot of them have come to these elite guards. A lot of them have come where, where guys are are Mm -hmm. affecting that drop coverage and pick and roll and just hitting those jump shots. And that really is the weakness there. Right. I, I agree. But the problem is when you start to go down the path of well, in these losses, well, they only have 17 of them. True, true. And Denver Fair. has 20. And so it's like, yes, okay, yes. like, you know, and this is, 
you know, when we get to Joker, we can talk about this, but let's instead take the comparison of Steph Curry. Let's take that comparison. Okay. Okay. Is Steph Curry the reason why the Warriors are under 500, Ryan? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. Okay. They're awesome when he's on the court. It's been great. That's awesome. That's great. Here's the problem. If you're going to win MVP, you are responsible for your team outdoing whatever limitations it has. Like that is the inherent, like that's the burden of trying to win MVP is that if you're winning MVP, you have to rise above it. Now you can have good teammates and not have to rise that much above. And that can just be based off of your excellence. That's how Giannis won. The Bucs were, were great when Giannis was on the court. The Bucs were great when Giannis was off the court. But when Giannis was on the court, they were better than anybody else was the past two seasons when they were on the floor, including James Harden. Right. Like this is this is like the the classic question of I don't want to reward anybody for having bad teammates and I don't want to punish them for having good ones. But I do think with uh, MB, this is kind of the question is like, okay, he, um, they only have 17 losses and yeah, like they'll lose to certain guards and that's true. But the collective, the overall body of work is that the, the Philadelphia 76ers have been dominant and won a ton of games when Joel Embiid has been on the floor. Uh, and that needs to matter as much as anything. Yeah, I, I I tend to tend to look at the defensive numbers, the when he sits, that they they can still put together a really good defensive profile, mm-hmm. and and it to me it says okay, hey, you may not be as individually dominant and individually solely impactful as as the numbers may say there, but it, it it's still a pretty solid case, and I, I just tend to think that he's been the second best player in the NBA this year, and that shouldn't be a slight. It, it's considered a slight by a lot of people. I just tend to think that Nikola Jokic has been the best, and, and so, that's where I come down on this. So I guess here here's the um, here's a lot of a lot of the the question. If I were building an argument for Joel, mm-hmm. here's where I would start. With Joel on the court, the Sixers outscore their opponents by twelve point one points per per hundred possessions. Uh, with Nikola on the court, they outscore them by eight point four, which is great, which is incredible. Um, right. And everyone's quick to point out. Okay, yeah, but when Joel is uh, on the off of the court, they still are only minus zero point seven versus with the with Joker off the court, they're minus one point one, which is worse. So his teammates are are way worse than than Joel's. You can't. I, I have to reassert this. Do not get caught up in the without this player, this team is garbage. That is not an MVP's responsibility. An MVP's responsibility right. is for how they are when they're on the court. Um, and I would say that by that argument, I think Embiid has an excellent case against Joker. Uh, where I tend to lean, lean towards Joker is role, responsibility, cumulative impact on every aspect of the game individual performance and efficiency um, and what they're asked to do. And that's like a big part of it, because if I were to just to take those net numbers, right? Like if I just go down the, the road of like, well, I'm, I'm going to look at the candidates that are reasonable that have like X amount of points or stats or whatever. And then I'm going to take whoever has like the best net rating. Cause that tells you how much they beat them by. Well, yeah, Kawhi, right? Rudy Gobert is plus 15. Oh, that, that's another one. Yeah. There you yeah. go. So like that's that's the argument is is that but this is the difference is Rudy Gobert is not responsible for as much as Joel Embiid is. Joel Embiid is not as responsible for as much, even though he has a huge offensive load and does a ton for them and is scoring 30 points a night, which is a ton. 
but he's not as responsible for everything as Nikola Jokic is. And he hasn't been as brilliant. And that to me is why that combined with the availability issue um, is why ultimately Joker's going to win MVP. I love it. Let's flesh that out in the next segment. I want to get more into Jokic's case and why he has been so dominant and so impactful. And we're going to we're going to flesh that all out. We will be right back here on Pickaxe and Roll. We're back. Pickaxe and Roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Joined today by Matt Moore at HB Basketball on Twitter. Make sure to go follow his work all on the Action Network and over on Locked On Nuggets. It's been great to see you guys doing all, doing that. And it's just the the premier Nuggets podcast right now. So keep keep on doing what you're doing. Uh, let's talk Joker here because he has been incredible and and. We don't need to tell anybody here that. We don't need to tell anybody here that that the argument for Nikola Jokic's box score numbers are incredible. The advanced metrics are insane. He's shown up to each and every game, but those things do each matter. And and I tend to I tend to kind of circle back to this argument. Uh, Zach Lowe once said this on a podcast, and and it, it actually wasn't the one that that included Adam. But every time Nikola Jokic touches the ball in the post something great happens for his team. It's it's sort of anecdotal. It's it's not like every time, but he has just been as as impactful, as efficient, as effective as we have ever seen him in 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 his life. Uh what do you think is the biggest thing going for Nikola Jokic right now? In, in, in just in a general assessment or in the race? Uh, let's let's go general assessment and then and then we'll go back to the race. Uh, I would say the fact that when you look at him and look at against the best in this league, the Nuggets play at this glacial pace, right? They play much slower, which is why you need certain numbers to get a better sense of it. Um, sure, he's averaging thirty six point seven points per hundred possessions. Uh, he's averaging twelve point four assists. Like to be as a, to, to average the kind of numbers that he is to provide that kind of scoring output. And then here's the big thing is like, I saw Harden do some of these like kind of performances, right. In terms of the assist total and the usage and, and doing all these types of things. Um, Jokic has the lowest assist uh, usage rate of any of the six major candidates, Ryan. Like he puts up these numbers so effortlessly, like they just naturally come. And then really for me, it's about the efficiency. Like I just can't get, I cannot get over that. He's shooting 56.7% from the field, 42% from three, uh, 86% from the line, like to be as efficient as he is. I mean, you know, again, we get into like true shooting percentage. Yeah. Steph Curry is number one. Second is Nikola Jokic. He, of all those right. candidates, he is the second most efficient scorer of any of the top six candidates. Um, his true rebound percentage is second amongst all those guys. And when you get into per hundred possessions, he's second behind Embiid. Like he does everything and he does it on every single play. I think though, I will say this too. Um, there are very few players that are matchup proof. Like there, like there is the formula for, for Dame, 
and people just really don't want to talk about it. Some people know, like, yeah, you trap him and things are going to good. Things are going to happen for you. Um, And a lot of that is just because like Nurkic is, is not the guy that they need him to be like, they need him to be be Draymond and he's not, but some of its size, right. The difference is like there, there is not a counter for Nicola, Like there's just not, you can make him a score, right. You can stay home on passers and be like, you're going to have to score 60 and that's going to drive him a little bit nuts. And that's a pretty good strategy, honestly, for, for winning. It's just being like, you're going to have to drag this team in the post two points at a time to keep up with us while we're bombing threes on you. Um, I think his leadership and maturity outside of the Boston Celtics game um, was phenomenal. I think he's been such a metronome for this team. He hasn't gotten rattled, hasn't gotten frustrated, um, has been consistent, has set the tone a lot of times in games. And just for the most part, um, when you watch him, it's unlike watching any other player in NBA history. And I never thought I'd say that about a Denver Nugget, let alone Nicola. But, right. I mean, what he does night by night, there's just so much. If you go back and you rewatch those highlights, you're just like, what? I mean, it's absurd. The difficulty of the shots, the difficulty of the passes, and he makes it look so easy. Um, he is not physically dominant, but he is so skilled dominant that there is no way to counter what he does. And then the NBA where there's a counter for everybody you're, you're talking about a truly, you know, once in a generation talent as far as centers go with Nikola Jokic. He has been unbelievable. Of course, uh, as you were talking there, it, it really does stand out. He's like you said, 56.7% from the field. All of the guys above him are shooting their shots at the rim, and he's just the one guy that he is he's shooting it from everywhere. He's shooting three to ten feet. He's shooting deep mid-range. He's shooting long distance. He has such a difficult shot profile for what he is doing. I, I looked this up previously. I'm not going to look it up now, but PBP stats, they have the expected effective field goal percentage mark. And he was at around 49% effective field goal percentage in terms of what he was supposed to be shooting based off of his shot selection and how difficult those shots were. It, it was up at about 61 the last time. Actually, let's just let's just look at the, the EFG right now. He's at a he's at 60.5% EFG, which in and of itself is just absurd. And and there's there's a free throw argument there that him not getting to the line enough, not being physically dominant enough to get to the free throw line, it is going to hurt the Nuggets in some cases. But being able to get a shot off in any situation, pass open a teammate in any situation, and like you said, be matchup proof, has just, it, it has opened the door for the Nuggets to be a championship contender in ways that we did not seem possible. They may not reach that threshold now with, with Murray out. But it only became possible because Jokic proved that he could be matchup proof. Right now, I, th- I think he is the best offensive player in the game today. And people might argue with that. People might argue and say Steph Curry's doing what he's doing. I've heard Damian Lillard nominated for that. I just don't agree with that because of what Jokic does from a night to night basis. There are arguments against him. I don't take a lot of them too seriously. The advanced metrics are just 
insanity. What he's doing kind of separated from the rest of the team or from the rest of these candidates advanced metric wise is something that we we don't often see. And so I'm I'm very like I'm struggling to kind of make arguments against him <laughs> in this case. And I want to point out okay is it the defense? No. Well, if you, if you watch his defense, then he, he makes impactful plays every single night. If you want to circle in on just the specific pick and roll coverage, then maybe maybe that hurts him. What, what no, do you see from there? Like, because I, I just don't like, I don't take so that as seriously in a regular season award. Well, I mean, here's the problem is uh, as the big, as the big defender in pick and roll percentage sports, Nikola Jokic is 73rd percentile. Like, he grades out fine. That's um, fine. Like it's good. I would tell you, I would tell you. Um, I think you're thinking of it wrong because you're thinking of it as what's an argument for him to not be good. And this, I think, is and like I'm writing about this. Like this is where people go wrong on it. Okay. Honestly, like this is not a compelling argument because it can be refuted if you try and like. There's an assumption amongst. Uh, casual fans and those views often overlap with certain members of the voting block, but that voting block will tell you like, okay, but he's not a good defender. I mean, look at him. Like you can give me all the advanced metrics you want, but look at him. Okay. But that's really dumb. Cause it's just like, no, look, here's, that's where you have to do the, here is all these plays and I'm doing it right now. I'm going through and pulling the clips of here is why he is actually not that bad defensively and actually pretty good. However, yeah. Can you and I both agree that the best that we can really grade him out at is between a six and a half and a seven on a 10 point scale? Sure. I, I, I'm willing to go like I think the highest I'd be willing to go is a 7.5. And okay. and that's that's about it. Like I, right. I do acknowledge that it's it's somewhere between probably a five and a 7.5 from any given night. So the problem is if we scale this all, then Jokic is a 10 offensively. And let's put him in a seven flat because you wanted to go seven and a half. And I said six and a half as an opener. Let's go seven flat. OK, sure. Okay. So that's a 17 score offense, offense, defense. And that's like the two sides of basketball right now. There's all these other factors that go into it, but let's just take that score. Okay. Of 17. Okay. If you grade out Embiid, he's going to come in at like a nine offensively because he okay. is like 30 points a night, second amongst all the candidates behind Steph Curry and scoring all of these things. Right. He's a nine on that end and he's a nine on defense. Sure. Like if not a 10, like if you want to yeah. say that he's not switchable, so he's not a 10, that's fine. I think Ben Simmons is a 10. So like Joel Embiid being a nine, I think it's pretty fair. That still puts him at 18, which is a mark higher than Joker, right? Correct. So like yeah. if you yeah. use that rubric, I don't, then that's actually a case that I'm like, that makes sense. Like if you're just saying all I care about is on-court performance and I'm going to say, I think you can wash out everything else. If you say the Nuggets would be lost without Nikola, true, but the Sixers are the top team in the Eastern Conference with Embiid. Mm-hmm. Um, so like all these things kind of wash out. So like that's kind of the argument that you get into. Trying to make the argument that that like Nicola shouldn't win the award because he's bad at defense, that's dumb. That's a bad argument. That there's no evidence behind that in terms of the metrics. And if you actually pay attention to the games, you don't find that. I will say though, if we're gonna use all these metrics and you're gonna pull out, if we're gonna pull out um the VORP and we're gonna pull out, I should not say pull out this pulling out the VORP sounds dirty, but like <laughs> if we're going to use VORP and we're going to use BPM and we're going to use Raptor and we're going to use all of these, these metrics, 
you also have to consider his defensive rating on the on the court and his defensive box plus and his his defensive real plus minus. And in both of those factors, Joel Embiid is going to come out on top. Like he's going to sure. come out substantially on top. Like those metrics, we can't exclude those from the conversation because they're not convenient, and we can't exclude them. Even though, like I'll tell you this. Um, are the defenders on Philadelphia better than the ones on Denver? <laughs> Absolutely. Those guys yeah. are great. He has Ben Simmons and Matisse Tybel. And actually Tobias Harris has gotten really good. Um, and he, like, he has all these guys. Matt Maxey's actually really good. He had Danny Green, like Seth Curry, surprisingly good. He has all these good defenders around him and they know how to run that ice soft scheme that allows them to be so good at what they do with Embiid. Versus the Nuggets, who have like, you know, Will Barton, bad closeout defender, and MPJ, only really 15 games ago did he start understanding what planet he's on defensively. Really <laughs> good now, but like it took him a while. Um, and did. Monte Morris, who's small and not very explosive, and even before Jamal got hurt, like there's all these cases, and you could say, like, okay, so that's a little bit, you know, the, the standards are okay, but go back to what we were talking about earlier. You have to raise the standard, like you're responsible for it. So the fact that the Nuggets defense has been bad with Nicole on the floor, and it has been. Like that has to be a knock on him. That's okay if it's not enough. I don't think it's enough to, to take him out from MVP either. I think all things considered, Nicole is the MVP. But if you say like there's not a knock on him, I will push back on that because you can absolutely make the case that if Nicola was better defensively and worse offensively, the Nuggets might be a better team. I think that that's a decent argument. I think if Joel Embiid was better offensively and a little worse defensively, the Sixers would be a better team. Like both of those things are true too, right? But I do think that if you're saying like there's absolutely no knock against his game, I think that's too far because he is. If he, you, I'll also say this: the Nuggets, the Nuggets have built the scheme to help Nikola just the same way that the Sixers have with Embiid, which sure. we talked about that that ice drop scheme, right? So the Nuggets switch everything else except for one five where they play two at the level of the ball. Now I like like playing at the level of the screen way way better than i like drop drop is what every nba team runs in the regular season because it's easy and it's low maintenance and it doesn't require a lot of effort and okay you're gonna give up a lot like star performance nights but you're gonna try and contain the three-point shot but we know that in the playoffs that's really not not something that you can do because those guys will eat you alive um right. so nicola's defense works a lot better but i will say like the nuggets build a scheme for him if if the Sixers can't allow Embiid to do everything, like they can't really switch that much with Embiid, the Nuggets certainly can't switch with Nikola. Now he's done it a handful of times this year, and the numbers are not that bad. The problem with those is is like if you say that, I have to point out that the Utah Jazz fans say the exact same thing about Rudy Gobert, and you and I both know that in the playoffs, if they try switching Rudy onto a perimeter player, it's barbecue chicken time, right? Correct. So like it's the exact same kind of thing. So my only point here, Ryan, is, is mostly just to point out the, you can't think of you can't get so caught up in the idea of trying to refute all these bad arguments about Nicola that you take the position that there isn't um, that this is like an impervious MVP year because I don't think it is. Like I think that there's a like I would start very gen genuinely with the wins. Like so much of it is just that they bottomed out that first month. And a lot of that was because like uh, Jamal started rough. They lost three times to the Kings. They were coming off of that short off season, et cetera. Like there's all these reasons that as Nuggets fans sure. you can look at it and make excuses, but like you're responsible for those games early. Now, Nicole has been the same greatness all the way through. Like that's kind of like where I come through is I'm like, okay, look, he has been as good 
it took the team a while to be able to overcome absolutely just falling on their face constantly. But your job as an MVP is to lift them to that. And they didn't. Like that to me is a compelling argument. If you just make it about wins as a qualifier, I don't mind that. There are arguments you can make that, that are convincing to me to justify a vote of someone else over Nikola Jokic. My problem has been the last couple of several days. We have not heard those. We've heard terrible arguments for him. It's very fair. Uh, this season, like like you said, it's just a weird MVP year for a lot of reasons. There is no top three MVP candidate that's like rock solid anymore. Because like like uh, top three in the standings MVP candidate, just because the the wins have been so wacky and, and Utah being the the sum of like some of their parts kind of team and Phoenix being a sum of their parts kind of team, uh, it, it has really affected things on the Western Conference side of things and the Eastern Conference. You've got guys sitting out left and right that it really like, and other than Giannis, really that, and even he, like, like he's missed, I think now ten games or so. So like, it's it's not like it, nobody has been impervious to this, and and I don't use the availability arguments as the only reason why Nikola Jokic has been has been what he has been, but I use it as kind of like the the last piece of this argument that. In a season that has really been a war of attrition, that because the NBA has been trying to get to the Olympics, they they tried they tried to have this season come in before all those Olympic games were happening and not have to not have to kind of double dip there. He has been the one player out of all of them that has been able to show up every single night and and do the things that he's done every single night, other than maybe the the Celtics game. So I. It's been frustrating to watch that become a, a talking point against him of late where, oh, does it even really matter that much given that everybody is sitting out? No, it really does matter that much. It really does matter to show up and do your job and, and do everything to the cool. level that he has done. Um, okay. I disagree with you on this, um, actually. So Nuggets fans should take heart that I am in the minority on this and that as you have heard from Tim Bontemps and Tim McMahon and many people that like availability is considered a skill and that's going to weigh. And that's basically going to be the tiebreaker, so to speak. So if we assume that the Warriors can't catch and the, and the Mavericks can't catch and LeBron's going to take until, you know, end of April, first of May, and he's just not going to have enough momentum. If it's just Jokic and Embiid, Jokic and Embiid, pardon me. um, Then, the tiebreaker for a lot of people is going to be that games metric. Sure. I have two problems with this. This is the first one. Um, One, not all of his games missed were due to injury Uh, and be missed games due to health and safety protocols because of a contact tracing issue. Sure. There's nothing he can do about that. Sure. Two, if no, if the situation were reversed, okay. If Embiid had played 10 more games, Do you think Nikola Jokic is MVP? No, probably not. Really? Yeah. So no, I you think made that... the argument. You made the argument of that showing up for your job. Joel Embiid did not fail to show up for his job. He did not take days off. He did not like. He got legitimately injured. Um, right. I'm. I'm. I'm not speaking to Joel Embiid on that. On that particular piece of this, I. I really am like. It's. It's more about the Brooklyn guys for me. Yeah. Uh, like that that's that's really where I come down on that. Like Embiid, he was held out forcibly 
from his job. Like he he wanted to be there. He wanted to show up every single night. And so I don't I don't blame him for that. I do think that the cumulative impact of that matters and that you you have just a, a sort of amount of value that Yoka just put forth that is just drastically different. If it were flipped, then I, I think I I could make an argument for Embiid. A stronger it's argument. Of, it's kind of interesting um, because it, this is a very personal and personal question. Do you expect every NBA player to play every healthy game they can from the start of the season until, say, the last two weeks of the season? Because then I think it's fair to start resting, resting guys. Um, like that's an interesting question, right? Because we, I mean, look, I don't want to go here. If they had gotten Jamal more time. Yeah. There's, there's something there. You know, he just came off of, off of missing four games. So maybe nothing does it. You know, I mean, I think a lot of it was just like having to play late in the season and then two months off. And then this, you also couldn't keep Jamal off the floor. That's not like, that was, you could not tell Jamal not to play. Like that's just not how he's wired. Um, my point though is like, do you expect them to play? Because if you expect them to play, then you're basically saying that Nicola deserves credit for what he should do anyway. It's very much the, there's an old Chris Rock bit about this. And it asks the question of what do you want a cookie? Like, <laughs> you know, like I take care yeah. of my kids. Like that's the whole thing. And so like, that's the question is if you, if you set the expectation of, well, players that are <laughs> players that are pay, are paid to play professional basketball should play professional basketball when they are healthy enough to play professional basketball has somehow become a controversial topic in 2021. Um, but it is, and so the, this is the question. I think the fact that Embiid is likely to miss back to backs that probably factors more into this for me than anything. Like because at that point, it's like no, look if if you if Embiid wants this award you have to accept a certain amount of risk and play on those back-to-backs because Joker's not taking off the back-to-backs, right? Like that to me becomes a better argument. But when we, we just get down to Embiid missed time for health and safety and he missed time because he suffered an injury. At that point, I do not, like, it is not a significant enough amount of time, especially in this season, right? Because, because we have such a high rate of games per week if you miss two weeks with injury, you're missing more games this year than you would have last year. Fair. Like, and Fair. that and that's part of the equation too. So I understand the the because I think of this too. I'm like, I want it like when I think like Joker's played in every single goddamn game this season. Like that's incredible. And like played heavy minutes. Like that's incredible. But here's the other thing. I do not credit Nicola for not getting injured, knock on wood. Fair. Um yeah. any more than I I credit every NBA player for being in shape and taking care of their, but like you're supposed to do that. That's what the money is for. Right. And so if I can't say that Joker, that why would I keep doing that? I've been listening to the athletic too much. <laughs> it's Cause it's Joel. I keep wanting to say Joker and then going into Jokic. Um, yeah. So if I, I can't look at Joker playing every single game and go, Oh, what an accomplishment. If I already know, like that's what he should do. And he isn't considered to be any sort of accomplishment. He's just like, my my job and so i i get paid to play basketball so i play basketball <laughs> and they've needed him every game and so you know that's part of it too is if your team doesn't need it and you're trying to play for a championship there has to be some sort of expectation that guys take a night night off or two but even then and b didn't really do that he just had injury issues so i actually this is what's surprising i don't 
I don't necessarily mind the argument. Um, like, let's just go ahead and say it. Like, because it's like, I could say Brian Windhorse to be somebody like a, a guy that I don't know if I would still refer to him as a colleague, but a guy that I know and respect and have had good conversations with. And he's helped me in my career at times. And I've been very appreciative of, of when he's been helpful and given good advice. But like that conversation that they had on the podcast, on, on his podcast, on the Hoop Collective, um, the problem was not his level of uh, stress over people reacting to this, to the availability argument. You can make that. The problem was that it became very clear that like all of these mechanisms fit into the same category, which is present, which is, again, I've made this clear for some time. There is a, a vein of voters that do not want to vote for Nikola Jokic. And like, I'm hesitant to say that because I don't like to, to buy into biases. And I, being a guy from Denver, every time I say that, it's going to be treated with you're just being a homer. But I'm just trying to illustrate if, if Embiid played in Denver, I don't think there would be the kind of resistance that he's facing and if Joker played in Philadelphia, I do think there would be a level of resistance. But the fact that Joker plays in Denver has created a very special circumstance where I can just say, like, I still feel that voters are looking for someone to give them someone else to vote for. And that to me is wrong because you can make an on-court basketball argument that Nikola Jokic has been better than Joel Embiid. Let's flush that out of the next segment. When we come back, we will talk about some of some of the things that have been said lately and, and just talk about uh, why why some of these things are the way that they are. We'll be right back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Ryan Black, Ryan Blackburn here. God, just it's 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 been the 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 day of just not being able to speak correctly. Uh, joined by Matt Moore of the Action Network at HP Basketball on Twitter. Thank you so much, of course. Uh, so we've talked through the arguments. We've we've gone through kind of the the positives and negatives on these guys. Why they are, uh, why why these arguments have have kind of fleshed out the way that they have. Uh, if you if you had a vote right now, you Matt Moore, who would you be voting for? Nikola Jokic. Um, okay, it's close. I don't think um, it's settled. I have thought there are there. This story has is yet to play out, and it needs to be allowed to play out a little bit longer. Um. It needs to be taken in context. If Jokic keeps playing the way he is and the Nuggets lose more games because of late season schedule and Jamal, I think that has to be considered. Um, like a negatively for Jokic's case? Um, I negatively against. I think like you have, okay. If they slip, you have to look at it and go like, okay, you know, they did lose Jamal and that's tough. But again, a lot of the time with the MVP arguments, because you're winning an award and it's not entitled to you, I tend to be like, that's the breaks, man. Like, I don't know what to say. Like, I, it sucks. Sure. You know, but 
the, the alternative is if you have a super team, you're very unlikely to win it. Like a big reason James Harden also cannot win on top of all the Houston stuff is that anybody that watches any Nets game is going to go like, oh, Kevin Durant's the best player on that team. You can't win MVP if you're not the best player on the team. That's not a thing. That will not happen. Um, and so there's ways that I think that Joker can still lose. And there are ways that Joker can still lose legitimately. But those are two different things. Um, the most likely outcome, I think, at this time is that he wins and deserves it. The second most likely outcome is that he loses and deserve to win. The third most likely outcome uh, is that he loses and did not deserve it. So that's like how the the outcome, I think, the outcomes kind of break out. And then like fourth is he wins it and didn't deserve it. I can't see a scenario where that happens. Um, yeah, that'd be, that'd be a weird one, uh, just given what he's had to kind of endure throughout this entire thing. Uh, you've done your digging. You've talked to MVP voters. Uh, Tim Bontemps did his straw poll for ESPN. It's It's been pretty... It's been pretty Jokic-centric, I would say, over the course of this last month, uh, just given the way that the race has really shook out. Do you think that's do you think that's really affected him just like with that knowledge kind of becoming public and how people have reacted to that? Do you think that that affects him in a negative way that that it it has looked so drastic over the course of this pa- these past couple of weeks? Uh, I don't think so. I think he really is honestly oblivious to it. I don't think he cares. I don't think he notices. I don't think it's consideration. Um, I think he's going to be fine no matter what. I think that he is like the only guy that I really trust not to let this really affect him. Okay. So, I mean, he's, he's said it so often and we have no reason not to believe him that um, he really is just like, this is just not something he thinks about. I think that if he won it, he would be happy. I think he would be really overcome just in terms of his gratitude for his teammates. And sure. he, that, that's what he would talk about in the speech. Um, but I, I don't see it being a distraction in any way, shape or form. And I, I don't see him altering his game whatsoever. Like quite honestly, if Jamal hadn't gotten hurt, there was a higher, there was a higher percentage chance that he would lose. Like, I would be looking very seriously at Embiid futures right now because I would think like he's probably going to have more nights where he scores 12 and has 16 assists, but those aren't going to, those, those over the long run aren't going to help his, his stats and the usage is going to change. And so, you know, right. I, like that's all part of that equation. Cause you do need the metrics at the end to stand up. And so um, ultimately I think that he's going to win. And I don't think that this is going to be end up being any sort of like, bad thing for him i think it is going to be harder on the fans than anything everybody should be happy about this right like everybody should be happy that a kid from serbia who's a second overall second second round pick uh just makes the the long jump over to the nba it propping up a mid-market team uh carrying them on his back for for the first couple months of the season before they really get their their crap together it really should be a positive storyline in, in the NBA, right? Like, why, why isn't everybody happy about this right now? I don't think everybody's unhappy for the same reasons. I think the real Hoopers No Club are upset because he challenges what they value. Um, he's also not defiantly macho. 
and that's like a very thing that's tied very strongly into the real hoopers no conversation is like hyper masculinity i'm better than you i'm gonna show it right yeah um and like joker is i know by no means effeminate (laughs) any sort of yeah yeah um i wouldn't i wouldn't describe him as sensitive uh either i think some people might i think that's that's sort of a narrative that's been that's been thrown out there about him that, that you could see. Uh, I wouldn't describe him as sensitive because he has to wash. He has to let a lot of things wash off around him I think and this is does so well. I think, I think this is the difference. I think on the court, he could be sensitive because he gets so pissed at the officiating. Right. Sure. And he gets really frustrated at things. I think he'd be, be sensitive in those contexts. I don't think that he is emotionally sensitive as a human, like, or at least overly. So I think he is appropriately sensitive as a person. At least in the limited interactions that I've had with them. Um, so the real Hoover's no crowd is like over here, okay. And then you then on, entirely independently, okay, you have a national media contingent. Um, this is like this is real complicated, okay. On the one hand, you have to recognize that a lot of these people, their livelihood is tied to the connections that they hold. And there are certain players that hold those connections and that they need those connections with and that are in this conversation. And it's not just LeBron, but there are other players. Right. And that influence. Um, second is that those players are more often on national television. And so they are more often like watching those games closely rather than flipping through league pass if they do so at all. So that's like another factor. And then like third and finally, this is really what I get. I think it gets down to. I, I've got to be serious with you. I, I happened upon this thought the other day and I think this, I think, I'm not sure, Ryan, I think this is it. Jokic does not fit the traditional definition of greatness that they have come to understand. So it, the, the, the most stringent, when you, when you get past all of the like availability doesn't matter. And what about defense and all these, like when you, when you get through that, you will notice in these, these conversations that are had, this comment always kind of comes out, which is, are we really going to look back in 20 years and say that we voted for Nikola Jokic? That's yeah, the yeah. one that, yeah. and that, when I heard that, I was like, that's it. That's the nerve. Like everything else stems from that nerve. Are we really going to look back and say that we voted for Nikola Jokic because he doesn't, does not fit the definition of greatness, which at this point, like, I will say this. If I were a Nuggets fan, which I'm not, if I were a Nuggets fan, I would be very pissed off because you can't look at him and say he flames out in the playoffs. He made the Western Conference Finals by beating Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. They won a series his first time in the playoffs. This team is still incredibly young. Like he has proven his playoff medal. He beat Rudy Gobert, the defensive player of the year in game seven to get past Utah. Like, He's certified. Nikola Jokic is certified. And what's crazier, Ryan, the players are actually in his corner. So Kendrick Perkins has come out in his favor. The big one for me is Reggie Miller. On that Mm -hmm. national TV broadcast, when Reggie had him number one, I was like, that, like, that is a guy that is that for all the comments about Reggie Miller. Okay. Reggie loves the game and he covers it. And like, he covers it intently and he does the work and the research and he loves basketball. 
and he recognizes how good he is. But there is this sense among the scribes because Joker, for as funny as he is on camera, isn't a compelling story. LeBron, the kid from Akron, the chosen one, right, lived in the car with his mom, goes on to be the greatest or second greatest player of all time, a media mogul, an empire unto himself, and of course, a Los Angeles Laker, right? Joel Embiid, okay? Kid from Cameroon, like comes all this way, right? Kansas, the injuries, the process, brash on Instagram, running his mouth at people, like great quote, love, like fun story to tell in Philadelphia with all that basketball history. Like that's what they can identify as greatness. Steph Curry, you know, champion, son of an NBA player. Three point like redefines everything. Dame Lillard, the best leader in the NBA. These guys all look at they they fit into this identity that they can identify as traditional greatness. What's funny is like there's a reason why Mike Gorman and Brian Scalabrini were like, this guy's a lot like Bird, right? And no one would ever argue that. But it makes you wonder if the if the modern media contingent got introduced to, two, to 1982 or 1980 is bird looked at this way like it's an interesting question I don't know. like that's an interesting question like is 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 bird looked at this way i mean he was a stone he was a stone cold assassin for sure like larry was absolutely stone cold but he also didn't fit into like he wasn't media friendly you know like he's not on Instagram. That's not a thing. Larry Bird would not have been on Instagram. Magic would have been, right? Definitely so like, would have been. So this this all ties in, I think, into the into the conversation. Um, the reason why that that poll was 90 to 5 is that you got to think about how many people are not members of these contingents. And even those contingents, this is how good Jokic has been. They still feel like they got to vote for him. They don't want to, but even the contingents that do not that are arguing this week fervently that Joel Embiid deserves more consideration. They're not enough. Even if some of those people were not included in the straw poll, I can tell you right now, like some of those people were not included in the straw poll because they choose to, to hold their vote. Sure. Um, those votes wouldn't make it up. And some of the people that are making these arguments still voted for him. Like that's how compelling Jokic's case has been. It's a little bit rhetorical, and, and you've touched on it, of course, but I, I really do think like the NBA has completely failed to market Nikola Jokic from the jump. And it's been difficult because he hasn't had a traditional rise to success in Denver. It, it took a little bit for him to kind of gain hold in Michael Malone's system. It took him a little bit to then reach the playoffs and then showcase his talents. Uh and then when Denver did it the first time, there was a lot of questions about oh, San Antonio, it was just Portland, and they lost a port, they lost to Inez Cantor. Like there's there's a lot of that. And then they beat Utah in the bubble, coming back three one, and then they beat the Clippers, who were really the prohibitive title favorites at that point, coming back three one. They didn't really challenge the Lakers. Had that shot by AD rimmed out, it might have been more of a challenge, but I even I don't really think so. It would have been six games. 
I don't know how this changes. And, and even if he were to win an MVP, I don't know how the NBA is going to recover, or even if they will try to market Nikola Jokic in a, in a brighter, more positive way. It, the, the word villain came across my timeline with regard to Nikola Jokic. And, and like, not, he wasn't like the villain, but I, there, it feels like there is a lot of reasons people are crafting a lot of reasons to not support this case and not support what he has done and sort of detract from it. And I, I wonder if that has a lot to do with just the marketing in general. I, I don't know if there is anything like that he could have done that, that, Denver could have done specifically to really help that. I, I, I'm probably speaking from a point of weakness here. So I'll kind of defer to you on that. So let's try to get to the bottom of it. Um, do you think that Mello has failed to be marketed adequately? No, I yeah. thought he was, he was pretty popular. Right. So we can count, we can go ahead and say that it's not a Denver thing. We right. Can say, we can say it's not a market thing, which is rare because a lot of things in the NBA are about your market. It plays a part, but it's, you know, I'll put it this way. Uh, if Jokic was a Laker, would he be more marketable? Sure. But if Laker, yeah. if Jokic were a Sixer, probably not. If Jokic were a Clipper, no. Uh, if Jokic were with the Heat, probably not. Bulls, no. Like, it's really only the Lakers because the Lakers are the Lakers. Um, get ready for the, the villain stuff, for the, for the hate. Like, it's not him Giannis has faced the same thing yeah like Giannis is and like honestly LeBron got the same thing like here's a lot of it once you hear people raise someone up and talk about how great someone is immediately we have a there's there are not all of us there are people who are like oh yeah well what have they done like show me like what's so great about them because people being skeptical is always more rewarding because of how sure. how rare greatness is. And so there's always a resistance to those moments of greatness. It happened with LeBron. It happened with like, Wade didn't really encounter it because Wade won a title in 2006. Like just started off and won a title, you know. And he kind of stayed put. Like that was like, yep. he, he wasn't the villain of the big three. Like right. that, that wasn't him. Right. Um, and so I, I don't necessarily know that Nicola is going to be looked at as the villain. I think that Nicola, it doesn't feel cool, especially because like, I think you have to really love basketball. Like you got to love basketball. Um, I think it's one, of the, the rub. it's one of the common uniting factors between like the stats nerds and like the players, the real hoopers know have a different agenda. Right. Because again, we have to get back to that masculinity factor. Um, but like, and like, look, now oh, fuck it. Okay. Look, there's a racial component to this. Okay. I'm not going to sit here and speak on it because I'm not qualified to. Right. But it is, if you're, if you're asking the question, why do some people seem so angry about Nicola? That's part of it. And there are there are good reasons behind that hostility, even if there's not good reasons to point it at Nicola because he hasn't asked for that. 
but I do think that that's going to have to be part of the, like that will have to be part of the conversation. Someone else is going to hold because I'm sure as hell not going to do it. But I do think that like, that's, that is part of the dynamic. Um, but in general, people just do tend to react very with a lot of hostility towards whatever the new thing is. Um, Zion's going to catch it. Luca's going to catch it. Like, when Luca loses a first round series or gets bounced in the play in tournament this year, it's going to be like, okay, he's supposed to be like the second coming hasn't won a playoff series when it's like, he's 22. <laughs> like, what are we, what are we doing? What are we talking about here? He's, yeah, what are we talking about? Time. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'll tell you when Jokic wins the MVP and gets bounced because Jamal got hurt there, the, is this your MVP memes are going to be all over the place and just prepare yourself for that. That's part of it. Like, yeah. I will tell you this, being having a guy that's good enough for everybody to hate is part of the, the fun, I think, of being a sports fan um, and having, especially in the NBA, and having a guy that you're just like, you can hate him. He's still better than you. He's still better than your guy. And like that's a lot of it. There's a lot of uh, the, begr- the begrudging respect that I think that LeBron got. That once he once he won his two titles with Miami, once especially once he went back, and won it with Cleveland and what he had to do against the 73 win warriors, people started really giving him that begrudging respect. Okay. You are great at what you do. You're, you're, you're kind of making a face of me. Well, I think I just have a lot of thoughts on this because I, you know, I, I covered those years so close and it was funny watching it because 2011, he had just done the decision they embraced the villain identity because they like couldn't believe the backlash. He was yeah. so upset after the 2011 finals. He stayed in his house and grew a beard and rewatched the finals over and over and over again and was basically like a hermit crazy man. Um, yeah. And now he went back in the lab and got himself in an incredible shape and he, he added a post game. But do you know the other thing he did that summer, Ryan? What? He hired a publicist. Mm, okay. And he walked into training camp and delivered the line of I'm supposed to be a statistic. I'm just a kid from Akron. That's where all that started because, Mm. and it wasn't inauthentic. I'll say this, like it wasn't inauthentic because like he genuinely believes that stuff. And I think he genuinely had to rediscover his love of the game and find perspective. And he did. And so when he won, people really rewarded him because they're like, okay, we tore you down. Like you rose up. We tore you down. And you went back up and you won the title. And if you do that, then they admit, admit your greatness. And then he beat the Warriors. And that's when he became beloved. Like he went from he went from the phenom that everyone was watching in 2010 or in 2009 to like the fallen, like can't get it done disappointment in 2010 to the villain in 2011 to the redeemed champion that you have to respect in 2012 to the hero in 2016 and that's where he continues to this day. So like, that's a lot of it. Um, I also just think like, look, I don't think Joker's going to like, it's not going to be like it was with LeBron because he's not as divisive. Right. And sure, like, sure. No one hates Dame Lillard. Like nobody is like, <laughs> maybe Oklahoma city fans, but that's just like pure sports stuff. But even they like really respect him. Like nobody hates Dame. Right. Like Joel Embiid is going to, going to be the villain at some point. Like he's going to be the villain. But yeah, that's going to be that's going to be wild. Yeah. Joker will have a bunch of guys that that Joker will still have a bunch of people that are just like, yeah, he's overrated. But that 
It's whatever. Most reasonable people know how good he is and he'll be celebrated for it. And it's incredible that he's going to win MVP. Like his story really is incredible. Like regardless of whether um, certain outlets do that, it's important that we, that you not focus on what some outlets don't say and focus on the ones that do say it. Cause like Zach Lowe talks a lot about, about this team and about how good he is. And right. like there is great coverage in town from you and from Mike Singer and from DNVR. And like, there's all this really good coverage of the team. And so like, there are these voices that are recognizing what's going on and, and telling that story. And there will be more as they rise and continue to go and hopefully get themselves to a finals. But um, it, you do have to be prepared for the fact that not everybody's going to not, you just can't expect everyone to be like, to look at the same way you do where you're like, but it's such a good story. They don't look at it as a good story. They look at it as a goofy white dude that passes too much. It's going to be fascinating, man. I'm a, I can't wait to, to write the article, the kid from Sambor and it will just, we'll just kind of rebrand it that way. And uh, then that will, we'll, we'll probably do it a little bit too early and then that will receive a little bit of hate and then people will circle around on it eventually and say, hey, actually he was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time with me on this because you are the preeminent person to talk to about MVP related topics. And so I, I appreciate you on a Saturday night, no less, taking the time with me to, to discuss this. Thank you. I mean, I'm a... I'm a 39-year-old father of two in a global pandemic, Ryan. Do you think I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to the club. Like, that's not a thing. So I thought your bingo group was missing you, man. This is what, this is what I want to do is I want to talk about the MVP <laughs> and narratives and the, the, the concept of greatness. This is when you were like, I want to talk about MVP. I was immediately like, I'm in. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> Uh, the the backgammon club was uh, was turning you away. Is that, is yeah, that I'm not, okay? I'm not Jeff Morton. Let's be <laughs> let's, let's be clear. I'm not Jeff Morton. So I uh, love it. Well, he is at HP Basketball uh, on Twitter. Follow his work at the Action Network and Locked On Nuggets wherever you get your podcasts. Again, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time, and, and I can't wait to be uh, to be talking about the playoffs with you at some point. Should be a lot of fun. Thanks, man.